Good morning. I need you to open your Bibles to John chapter 11. You know, there's a lot of things we do each week that are supposed to epitomize the church, but I need you to know Ethan and Audrey are the prime example of what a church should be. These are our kids who have grown up in this church who are now going to go live in Japan, learn a new language, and minister to another country. If that doesn't make your tail wag this morning, check your pulse. Amen? All right. This is, you bet. This is what we celebrate here. And it's not anything we've done. They've been raised by God-fearing parents and have an opportunity to make a difference, and we're very, very excited about that. Today, our icon is Father. We're going to learn something about God through the words and the actions of Jesus this morning, found in John chapter 11. Uh, Last week, I asked you the question, have you ever been offended by God? And we talked about the parable of the workers that showed up late to the work and received a full day's wages for their efforts. And we called it offended by grace. Today, I want to ask you, have you ever been disappointed with God's response to your request? I like that. Good. This is 830 and someone answered out loud. Awesome. And the answer was, oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had a moment where God didn't do what you needed him to do, and it caused moments of doubt and concern? If, if, you, if you're not saying yes, you haven't been a believer very long. Because one of the most frustrating things about God is his timetable is never ours, and yet his is always right. This morning, I want to show you a, a, a moment in the ministry of Jesus that John records where Jesus disappointed some of his dearest friends. And he did it on purpose. Let's set the scene. We're going to kind of break this down. This is going to be more of a nature trail walk through a moment in Jesus' life than it is necessarily a three-point sermon. So let's look at the scene. John 11, 1 and 3. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus had relationships that mattered to him. Don't don't allow yourself to believe what the world wants you to believe, that Jesus was this automated God on earth who simply went about like a robot without feelings, without actions, without attitudes that were human. He was nothing like that. In fact, he was just the opposite of it. And you'll notice that John loves to use the word love when he talks about Jesus. He even refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. This is John's message to a world that believes in a disconnected, uh, impersonal God. Jesus loved and he still does. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, if you want to read that this week at your own leisure, you'll remember that there's many, many times it's recorded, especially in Luke 10, that Jesus spent time with Mary and Martha at their house in Bethany. They would put him up when he was in town. They would feed him and care for him. One of those moments you might recall is a moment where Mary and Martha are having a sisterly argument because uh, Martha is in the kitchen doing all the work and Mary's listening to the teacher teach and she complains to Jesus and he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. Mary's chosen the most important thing. So we know that there's an interaction and a relationship here. Jesus was in Bethany and the last time he was in Bethany was for the Feast of Dedication. And they tried to kill him. You remember they tried to push him off a cliff? They tried to stone him again? And in those two interactions, I think it's wise, Jesus chose not to go back to Bethany. Could you understand? But Lazarus gets sick while he's gone, and the sisters know how much Jesus loves them, and they have no problem appealing to him to come. Verse 4, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death, 
No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. I've often misread this. Jesus says it won't end in death. I've always believed that he was saying he won't die. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says it won't end in death. And if if you get nothing else this morning and you tune out or get really tired or you're freezing in here like I am, then let me tell you this. Let me give you the punchline up front. You won't end in death either if you believe in Jesus Christ. Is that good news, church? Yeah. You're going to die, but it won't end in death. And that's the hope that John wants us to have. The disciples and the family of, of Lazarus aren't aware of that distinction yet. They will be soon enough. And it's a comfort for us when we face illness or grief or death. And death comes. And we don't want it to come, but it lands hard and it's loud and it's damaging. Remember the words of Jesus. It won't end in death. It ends in life. Verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. This is insensitive. Now, you're all going, well, it's just Lazarus. No, no, put your child's name there. Put your spouse's name there. Put your name there. Jesus, I'm dying. And it says that Jesus... Now, I want you to to notice something, a little subtlety in in the original language. It doesn't just say that he stayed where he was two days. He intentionally stayed where he was two days. Why? He waited for Lazarus to die. And that's hard. When God doesn't care as much as we do about something, it's easy to be disappointed. I'm told that he was about two miles away from where this took place. That's even on a slow day, that's less than an hour's walk. It took him two days to walk an hour, and he did it on purpose, and Lazarus died. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you know that God's delays are torturous, aren't they? That it's hard for us. So why does God delay when we need him now? Why doesn't he do what we want him to do when we need him now? Because faith is incubated in the delay. It takes no faith to rub the lamp and have the genie give you your three wishes. It takes phenomenal faith, outside of you faith, to wait on a God who will let you die. And yet John says he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Second Peter, Peter would record this, and Peter had a problem with Jesus' delays too. Peter would write later in his life, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. God can be late and still be on time because he's God. Now, I know that's one of those preacher statements that you might see on a bumper sticker someday and roll your eyes like I do, but I'm going to bet my life on it. God can be late on my calendar and always be in perfect time. Why? Because there is nothing that keeps God from having what God wants. Illness and problems and death can stop us from having what we want, but they can never stop God from having what he wants. Verse 7, then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. If an 
It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. This is one of those enigmatic statements of Jesus. It's a twist in culture. It's, it's using an image from every day to try to make a greater point, and yet it's, it's a little bit cloudy, to be honest. The Jewish workday was 12 hours. Uh, the scholarship that I read says what Jesus was saying to each one of us is, listen, it is daylight now. It is time for me to work. I don't worry about what's going to happen to me. It's time to do what I've come to do. Jesus is saying, I know there's, this is a risk, and I'm going to take it. Because there's something powerful that God is going to do. Wouldn't that change all of our lives? If instead of trying to live longer, we just took advantage of the lives we currently have, and, and we did what we needed to do while it was daylight, instead of waiting for another day with artificial light that may never be there. Jesus is doing a lot here, and he's doing it inside each one of us. Verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Now, that's really not a childish statement. What did your parents make you do when you were, had a headache or you were sick or had a cold? What did they make you do? I love all the grandmothers and mothers here going, oh, put them in a bed. And haven't you all felt better when you wake up, you don't feel good, you go back to sleep, you wake up, the body recuperates? This isn't an illogical comment. They're just missing the greater point. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Jesus uses, for the very first time, the metaphor of sleep and death. And sleep, even when you're a little child, remember how we used to fight to have to go to bed? I remember I used to pitch a fit to take a nap when I was a kid, and I would pay you all right now to take a nap every day if I could get away with it. (laughs) There we are. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. And so Jesus uses this metaphor of sleep because it's a beautiful, comforting, peaceful metaphor. Verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, you remember doubting Thomas, the one who's been mocked ever since his worst moment was recorded in the Bible? There's no doubting Thomas here, is there, church? Thomas says to the rest of the disciples, let us, go, let us also go that we may die with him. It doesn't sound like a doubting man to me. If Jesus is going to die in Bethany, Thomas says, I'll die with him. That sounds to me like a disciple. Sounds to me like someone who has no question who Jesus is. And if we call him doubting Thomas because he saw the gruesome crucifixion and wondered how in the world that man could be alive again, then I'm doubting Mark and you're doubting fill in your name. Because if we would have seen what they saw, it would have taken a miracle that we would never imagine, and God was bigger than anything we can imagine. So Thomas has issues, but they're good issues. He believes enough to die. Look at the reaction as Jesus approaches. Verse 17. On his arrival, John, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. It was customary in a Jewish funeral for people to mourn a minimum of a week, sometimes up to an entire year, depending on their relationship with the person. And these people would come, and they would mourn in sorrow. Their job was they were the people that bring in the casseroles when someone dies in a house. 
And they stay and they do the dishes and they make the bed and they clean and they they sit and they do good work. Let us not mock the mourners. They serve a role even in our society today. Uh, If I may for a moment, as a preacher, I often hear people say, well, we don't like funeral homes. Name somebody who does. And if they do, whack them. That's wrong. But why do you go? I'll never forget my grandfather's funeral. High school friends of mine who never met my grandfather showed up that night, walked into a room for five minutes, greeted my family, said they were sorry, and left. I'm forever touched by that moment. Don't make fun of the mourners. If someone important dies, we ought to mourn. Amen? And they were surrounded by mourners. Verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And this is a flip of Luke 10. Martha would have been the one making sure everybody was taken care of. Now she needs taken care of, and she abandons the guest, and she seeks the teacher. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, did I tell you that Jesus loved Martha? Have you picked that up? Because love allows you to talk like this. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Is she blaming Jesus for his death? In a small degree, she is, isn't it? Well, she even knows that Jesus could have said something from where he was, and Lazarus wouldn't have died. She's not pointing a finger at him. Faith will bring questions to your heart and mind. Faith questions things, and it should. She said, you could have prevented this. You could have helped. And then she demonstrates where real faith lives or dies. When God disappoints you, what do you do? Verse 22. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. If you allow yourself to write in your Bible, and if you're electronic, all you have to do is highlight it. I think the words even now are two of the most important professions of faith Martha will ever make. She believes that even dead, Jesus can do what he promises to do. Trusting in the face of devastating disappointment is where our faith lives or dies. It's where we grow or where we quit. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know. As a a dad... Can I just be upfront with you? When my boys look at me and say, I know, and they don't know, that irritates me. Am I the only one? <laughs> Braden will be at a ball game, and he'll change his swing, and I'll say, move your hand. I know, I know. When, why don't you do it? You say you know, but you're doing the exact opposite of what got you a base hit the last time. And I get frustrated, and Heather gives me that look like, grow up. And I'm like, I'm trying. Jesus says, I will raise Lazarus. She goes, I know, I know, I know. You're going to do it the last days. Jesus has a beautiful response. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who, comes to, uh, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. When Jesus said in verse 22, or when Martha said in verse 22, that I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask, Dr. Mark Moore points out in his commentary something interesting I I wouldn't have seen myself. He says the word ask there is what a subordinate does to a superior. She says to Jesus, I know that God might let you do this. Jesus' response is a little more affirmative. He says, no, 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. He said, I don't have to go and get God's permission to do this. I am God here on earth. I will be the resurrection of everybody. That's not an angry Jesus. That's a Jesus teaching us a powerful truth. When God disappoints you, Jesus will fulfill every promise ever made. Post-death? Yes. Previous to death? Yes. Right now? Yes. Ten years from now, church? Yes. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. This is the fifth I am statement that John records Jesus making. Jesus didn't say, he's not saying, I I have the power. He says, I am the power. God has sent me to do this. Verse 26, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe? We know Martha believes, but he's asking her something unique here, isn't he? Do you believe now? You've believed when you've seen the miracles, and you believe that I love you, but do you believe now? I can do what I'm telling you I'll do. The troubling question, can you and I believe in a God who disappoints us? It's awkward, isn't it? Because we shouldn't talk like this in church. He's God. He could kill us all. But you admitted so freely at the beginning that he does disappoint. Well, he disappoints what we want him to do. But where in Scripture has he ever promised to do what we want him to do? He disappoints an expectation he never meant to meet. But he says, I will give you everything, including life after death. So when God disappoints, we should be more disappointed with our expectations than with his satisfaction. She says, verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, the Son of God who has come into the world. That is some major theology by that girl right there. Look at all the titles she uses. You're the anointed one. You're the chosen one. You're the sent one. I believe all of that. And then by faith, by faith, she goes and gets her sister. There's no more debate here, have you noticed? She wants Mary to be reminded of what she just experienced. Verse 28, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Mary spends a lot of time at Jesus' feet. I think we should learn something about that. She's either washing his feet, anointing his feet, learning at his feet or worshiping at his feet. Mary's got a good place and she loves being there. Let's look at Jesus' response now. We've seen the scene. We've seen the people's response. Now look at his. Verse 32. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Whoops. They are sisters, aren't they? And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. She has the same profession of faith that Martha does. The same profession that Peter would give that we call the great confession. And it says that Jesus was deeply moved and troubled. My understanding of the original language is that he was frustrated or agitated. He's provoked by this scene to bring him to pain. And what is the scene? 
He could have been agitated that Mary and Martha had moments of doubt. I doubt that that's it personally. He could have been irritated. I was raised to believe that he, could have, that he was irritated by the falseness and insincerity of the mourners. I don't know that that would make him agitated because then he'd be agitated all the time. I personally believe he's agitated by death. Jesus makes himself vulnerable when we hurt. He's not an automated God who walks around looking, go, ah, suck it up, you'll get over it, it'll be over soon enough. No, he sees the pain, he sees the grief, he sees the remorse, and it bothers him. I love a God who doesn't shrug his shoulders on my worst moments and tell me to grow up. How about you? I like a God who tears up, who's moved when we're moved. Verse 34, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. What makes God cry? Death. Death was never meant to be. Death is a punishment we chose. Oh, there may have been moments that you accidentally flirted with death, but let there be no mistake. If we're going to be honest with one another, every time you choose to sin, you choose to die. It is the choice of the sinner. To be away from God is to begin to die. And every one of us will die, and Jesus doesn't like it, and I love a God who doesn't like death. I, do, I, I love a God who's not satisfied that we have to die. He hates it. It moves him to tears. He cries because of sin's torment. He cries because of what sin has done to God's creation, which is you. He cries over the lost, the hurting, the desperate. And verse 36, the Jews then said, see how he loved him. Now allow me to be a preacher. We like to pick at little things that most people don't care about, but it's what we do. I don't like the fact that they use past tense here. I think Jesus cries because he still loves him. And I don't think there's ever been a moment that God's love for you is past tense. Church, do you hear me? I know it's early, but if this doesn't make your tail wag, check your pulse. If God's love is past tense, so is your existence. But if it's future and present tense, so is our hope. He still loves. It tells you something about the heart of God. Verse 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And the church, the answer is what? Yes. So why didn't he? I don't know. I don't know why sometimes God answers yes and then turns around and says nothing. I don't know why sometimes he says no. And if I came up here with some pithy little statement, some axiom to present to all of you to try to explain God, laugh me off the stage. The the person who tries to explain God has not read all of Scripture. God's ways are higher than our ways, they're different than our ways, and God's are always right. Amen? So why didn't God answer some of your prayers when he turned around later and answered somebody else's because in his perfect wisdom, this will not end in death if you believe. You'll go through death, but it'll end in life. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. Martha can't stop being Martha. 
She believes he can raise him from the dead, but she wants to caution him he might stink. The truth behind this is one simple point. She had heard or seen, I'm not sure which, but she was aware of the raising of Jairus' daughter. There are several instances where Jesus raised people from the dead. But please note, those all happened within hours of the death. This is four days, rigor mortis. This is not your usual, what Jesus has done in the past. Let's give Martha a little bit of credit. It is funny that she cautions the creator of the universe how his system works. But she also lets the stone get rolled away. Verse 40, Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And what is the glory of God? When God shines above all creation for who he truly is. You see, our story is not done being written when we die. A new chapter begins... And it's either a horrendous chapter or a glorious chapter. When God gets his glory, God's people find their joy. When God gets his glory, then we'll find our joy. And you're about to see it take place. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. And, so, and then Jesus looked up and he prays, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. This is funny. I always make fun of preachers who end their sermons with their third point. Have you ever been in a church service like that where the preacher runs out of time so he uses the prayer to finish his sermon? Jesus is funny here because he's talking to God for people to hear him. This is unusual. He says, God, I thank you for hearing me. I know you always do, but they're listening. He says, I want your glory here. Verse 43. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. There's not a preacher worth his salt who won't point this out to you. If Jesus had simply said, come out, every grave in all of the world would have opened. He's that big. But he called Lazarus out. And the dead man came out. Now notice this. What does John call him? John doesn't say Lazarus came out. John says the dead man came out. Remember, John's writing to an audience that questions Jesus as God. And he says, and the dead man, you know the guy who was dead, the guy who stinks? That guy came out. He's making a huge point there. His hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Sounds very similar to Ephesians 4 when Paul says, put off the old man and put on Christ. He says, get those grave clothes off him. He's not dead anymore. Dress him as the living. So what's our response to this moment in time where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Look down at verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. I suggest not out of fear. But is it probable that Jesus tears were in part due to the fact that by taking Lazarus out of the jaws of death, he would have to put himself in them? That by drawing Lazarus out of death, Jesus knew it would cost him his. And he didn't cry out of fear, but of the devastation that would come if he didn't. You see, in in John's book, John never uses the word miracle. He always uses sign. 
All of the things that Jesus did were signs to point who he was and what he came to do. <clears throat> In John 6.40, Jesus said, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. He said, look at me, look at what I do. Jesus said, look at all that I've done and choose to believe. And if you believe by the evidence I've given you, by the signs I've presented, that I am the gate, I am the shepherd, I am the life, I am the resurrection. If you choose to believe that, which takes a step of faith into darkness, but to land in holiness, we have to choose to believe. The question Jesus asked Martha is our question this morning. Do you believe? And there's two evidences of a life of belief. You worship him. The right way is you worship him. We know who he is. And even when he doesn't do what we want him to do, we have no doubt he is right. Even when we plead with him to rescue someone we love from death and they still die and we wonder, God, how come you've been so powerful here and in this moment when I needed you, you weren't there? It's a fair question. Our response is, will you still worship a disappointing God? Because you know who he is. Will you love him, believe him, follow him, thank him, obey him, and expect to see him soon? It's called worship. Regardless of our circumstances, Martha, do you believe? I believe you are the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one. The other thing you do when God disappoints you is you start to disbelieve. You take all the evidence in front of you and you dismiss it because your circumstances were not changed the way you wanted. And when you disbelieve God because he disappoints you, you have become the God you most worship. It is not easy to be disappointed with God. It's not. But listen to the prophet Isaiah in the 49th chapter. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. I heard a preacher say one time, and I love the line. He says, the only man-made thing in heaven will be the holes in Jesus' hands. Remember that when God's disappointing. The price he paid to purchase a disappointing people in return. And I know it's a bit sacrilegious to use the word disappointing about God, but, but we know the emotions. We'd be lying to deny it. So I ask you this morning, do you believe? And will you worship the one you say you believe in? And I don't mean just on Sunday morning. I mean, will you go to work? And will you serve your neighbors? And will you love your home? And will you honor God? Will you turn off the noise and distractions of this world and focus yourself on the word of God so that you know the will of God? Will you open yourself up so that when the world crashes in and says, Ha! Where's your God now? You respond, He's off the cross, He's out of the tomb, and He's coming back. Because if that's true, you'll live different. Martha, do you believe? Yeah, I believe you're the Christ, Son of the living God. Martha's brother was dead. And because of her belief, she embraced him when he walked out of the tomb. Just like all of us will embrace at the throne of Jesus Christ on the last days when heaven is set. If you've never chosen to believe in Jesus, go to one of these tables with the lamps lit. We encourage you to go as we sing. And we would like to teach you what it means to believe. Because believing in Jesus is the only thing that saves. 
It's the only thing that matters. And it's the reason we're here. Let's stand together and sing.